Oh, I unplugged myself. Sorry, guys. There we go. Yeah, we were in the rainy season, and now we're just heading right smack into allergy season. And I'm, I'm like, ready for uh, more Benadryl. But, um, hey, it's good to see you all today. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today and to worship the Lord. Uh, hey, th- Easter is three weeks away. Can you believe it? Three weeks away. And so... Um, we want to. We're going to take some time this morning to prepare our hearts for Easter, uh, and and talk about some some strategy a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, any sports fans in the house? Any anyone Dodger fan? Anyone watching opening opening week this week? Right. Um, I'm not a I'm not a baseball fan, but to all of you who are, I know you've been waiting, just waiting for baseball to get started. Football, football fans, how many football fans in the, any, any auto racing fans in the house? Anyone like into car racing? Right on. My, my boys and I had just gotten back into Formula One and, uh, and we're enjoying that. But here's what I know about sports. There's a lot of strategy involved, right? There's a lot of strategy involved. And in, in, in any sport, your coach and your team is going to get a, a game plan in place to get ready. Any coaches here this morning? Anyone coach baseball or football? We've got a couple, couple people who, right? There's a lot of work that goes into getting ready for a game. You don't just show up on the day of the game and go, okay, let's try and figure out what we're doing and who's going to play in what position. You, you actually prepare because you want to win. Am I right? Well, most people, we want to win. I, I don't know. It, it seems like, I, I remember when my kids were little, they would play soccer, and it was that, that season in soccer, and maybe it's still this way where we didn't keep score, right? It was like, hey, we're just going to come out and play fun. But here's what we noticed sitting on the sideline. Everyone was doing what? Keeping score. And so we're like doing these little like sneaky high fives because we're like hey, you guys, no one really won, but you guys won and you scored, right? Like, there's this thing in us where we want to win, but we need a game plan in order to execute well, to be able to play the game well. I mentioned that because as we prepare for Easter, we recognize this. Easter is one of the seasons of the year where people are really most open to hearing about Jesus. It's said that 80% of people, if they received an invitation to go to church, would actually go. 80% of people who don't currently go to church, if they received an invitation, would say yes. Isn't that incredible? Now, you've heard me say this, and I want to, right up front, just emphasize this. I believe that rather than inviting people to church, we need to invite people to Jesus, right? Because I think we can get that a little backwards. Church attendance isn't the goal. Expanding the kingdom of God is the goal. Seeing people come from darkness and into light, seeing people move from brokenness and bondage into freedom, that's the goal. And so Easter is one of these seasons, we know like around Christmas and Easter, especially in our calendar, two times of the year where people just seem to be more open. And I believe that's not just because of decorations, It's not just because Costco decided to put out the decorations a few months early and everyone's just in the mood. There's something spiritual about this that we need to recognize, that these are high points in our calendar, in the Christian calendar, as we remember the work of Jesus Christ. Of course, with Christmas, remembering the fact that he was born into a broken world, that God became flesh, and the ramifications spiritually of that continue to this day. 
that, that when we get to, to Christmas, as we celebrate what God did, that in the heavenlies, that all of the, the darkness and, and, and the demonic forces in this world are so aware and are so remembering what Jesus did when he came. And the same is true as when we come to Easter. Come on, it's the, it's the time of the year we remember that we win, that Jesus defeated death and sin forever on the cross. And you got to know this, that the demonic forces of hell are so aware of that. It's just a big fat reminder that they're on the losing side. And so as we come to this season, we recognize that people's hearts are being stirred, not just because of decor and festivity, but because spiritually there is something that is stirring and that as the followers of Jesus Christ, that we need to be ready to engage with him in the work that he's called us to. The message this morning is entitled, Sent. Sent. You are the sent ones of God. That he is sending you. He is sending you. In John 20, verse 21, Jesus says this, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Can I tell you, God has a game plan for reaching the world. God has a game plan. He has a strategy for reaching the world. You know what that game plan is? You are. You are his strategy. You are his game plan. You are part of a team that God has designed to bring victory into the world, to bring his life and his light and his love to people who desperately, desperately need it. We are the sent ones of God. Matthew 9, 36 through 38 says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them this being Jesus, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Lord of sent into, into his harvest field. We talked about this last Sunday as we concluded our series on character foundations, we, we talked about compassion and the fact that compassion is necessary for us to be able to go into the world. Because if you don't have a heart for the lost, you're never going to share the gospel. And so compassion is critical for us that we actually have to have a heart for people, for the people who don't know Jesus. Jesus looked at the crowds and he had compassion on, on them. The Greek word here for compassion in the New Testament, for those who care about the Greek, is the word splonknizomai. Splonknizomai. You want to try to say it? <laughs> splonknizomai. It, it, and I love, I don't share Greek words a lot, but there's, it's, just, it's kind of a cool word. Come on. But, it, but there's something about it, splonknizomai. It is this gut-wrenching. It, it, it actually talks about the bowels, feeling things in your bowels, in the very center of who you are. That Jesus didn't look at the crowd and feel sorry for them and have sympathy for them. He had compassion for them, and he was moved at a very deep level beyond just his thinking. See, sympathy happens in my, in my brain. Compassion and empathy happens in my gut. It happens at a very deep level. Jesus looked at the crowd and he had splunk knees, oh my. He was moved to his core. Why? Because they were lost. Because they did not have a shepherd. He says to his disciples, 
harvest is plentiful, but the Let's try that. I don't think I was plugged in all the way. My bad. Just let me, like, someone wave at me if I go out again, okay? Remember, uh, allergies, sinuses, my ears are all plugged, so. Jesus has compassion, and then he says to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to do what? Send. To send out workers that we are being called to go, that we are sent ones, that God is sending us. He's asking that we would rise up and go to those people who don't know Jesus, those that are lost, those who are helpless, those who are harassed, those who, who, who are like sheep without a shepherd, that we would be sent in that same way. We talked about last week the fact that compassion is compelling, that when I feel compassion for people, that I will want to do something. That I will be compelled to do something. Could, could it be, church, that one of the reasons that we don't share the gospel and share our faith is because we lack compassion? We forget that people are lost and don't know Jesus. If we would allow God to stir that splonknizomai in us to say, God, show me the people around me that don't know you the people who were lost, the people who are hurting. God, give me your eyes to see. Compassion is compelling. We read again last week, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 16. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regard, regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Again, we, we're revisiting this from last week, but this is a springboard for us this morning into the conversation we're going to have as we prepare for Easter that Paul is saying that, that we were dead without Jesus, but because he came and he lived and he died and he rose again, that we all get to live. And because of the life that we have in Christ, that we don't see people the same way anymore. That we see people the way God sees them. That we see people as his children. And we see people as, as God's masterpiece that we remove all of the, the judgment and all of the pride that, that wells up in, inside of us and in our culture and say, God, help us to see people the way you see people. God, give us a heart of compassion because you died for that person as much as you died for me. Right? That he died for everyone. The Bible tells us that God's desire is that none should perish, but that all, say all, all would come to a saving knowledge, to eternal life. So what I want to do this morning is kind of a training session for us. There's going to be some action for us. You should have got, when you came in this morning, a VIP card. If you didn't get one of these this morning, would you just raise your hand and Robert will come pass one out to you. There's a few hands up. 
as you're passing those out. I'm going to talk about what this is for just a minute. VIP prayer card. Is there a club here at this church that I need to be a part of to be a VIP? Not at all. You belong because you're here. The VIP is this, that every one of us has people in our lives that we would consider are very important to us. Would you agree? There are people in your life, maybe it's your family members. I hope that your family members are very important to you. Maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's your, your, your friends. Maybe it's your coworkers. That these are people that you would say, this is, these are the lives I've connected with. Jesus told the disciples in Acts 1.8 that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You will be sent. He says, first in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What we're talking about here this morning with the VIP is our Jerusalem You have a Jerusalem. You have a community that you are in proximity with, right? There are people around the world that you don't know, that you've never met, and you won't meet in this lifetime. But there are people that God has put you in contact with, people who don't know Jesus, people who are lost, people who are like those people that Jesus looked at and had compassion on, who are helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And God has sent you to them. That he has called you to be a witness to them and he has empowered you to be a witness to them. So these are our VIPs. And what we're inviting you to do this Easter, rather than just giving you an invitation card and say, hey, invite someone to Easter service. Because most of those cards, let's be honest, we grab those and they end up in the door pocket in the side of right next to the driver's seat in the car. (laughs) And then when we realize, oh, shoot, I forgot those cards, and maybe there's a little bit of guilt that comes, like, oh, I didn't pass those out. We're going to have tools, and we're going to have cards and different uh, uh, social media tools that you can use to invite people to church. But remember, this isn't just about inviting people to church. It's inviting people to Jesus. This is the bigger thing. It's in making an introduction for people to Jesus Christ. But, But God has a game plan. And sometimes we lack a game plan. I know, because I've been there, when people are like, hey, you need to invite someone to church. And there's just kind of the stress that rises up, like, I don't know if I can do that. What if they say no? What what would they think of me? Fear of rejection. I don't want to be rejected. What do I say? What if they start asking me questions and I don't know the answer to? By the way, as a pastor, you know what? If someone asks me a question and I don't know the answer, you know what I say? I don't know. I don't know. But hey, I'll, I'll find out. I'll find out. Let, let's, let's discover this together. Let's have a conversation. Imagine that. And so we get stressed out and we start worrying about how does, what's this going to look like? So what I'd like to do today is help prepare you and give you a strategy and give you a game plan that you can execute because I believe, now I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, I'm going to make an assumption here, I believe that every one of us in this room would say, hey, I want the people that are closest to me to meet Jesus. I want the people that I, I care about to know Jesus, to come into a personal relationship with him. I know this around this room, every one of us knows people who are hurting, people who are lost, people who need the life-saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But sometimes the gap between recognizing that and knowing how to go about it 
is, feels like a huge chasm, doesn't it? Okay, for maybe one or two of us. It's hard. It's hard. I said last week that the gospel makes us uncomfortable, that Jesus never called us to be comfortable. In fact, right, he called us to step out of our comfort zones. Every one of the disciples, every one of the apostles, everyone who followed Jesus as we read it in Scripture and through church history were, were put into very uncomfortable places. And the reality is, is we've confused and mixed up blessing and comfort. Does Jesus want you to be blessed? You better believe it. Does he want you to be comfortable? Not as much as you want yourself to be comfortable. That the gospel will put us in uncomfortable situations, but, but you know what? He's empowered you to be able to go and be a witness. On the back of this card, so let me finish on the front. So, so what I'd like you to do is throughout this service today, and at the end, we're going to give you an opportunity to, to think about who are five people who you know don't know Jesus, who do not have a relationship with Jesus, or maybe it's someone who you know for a while, maybe attended church, and, and they've just kind of lost their way. Okay, so what we're not praying for is someone who goes to another church who's plugged in fellowshipping and saying, hey, I'd like for them to come to our church. You don't put them on this list because that's not something that we want to do. Does that make sense? All right, just for clarity. But allow the Holy Spirit to start speaking to you and say, who are five people that you can start praying for? You'll notice down on the, bo the bottom, there's week one, week two, and week three. These are the three weeks leading up to Easter. And what we're going to do is partner with what is already happening in the heavenly realm and saying, God, we want to bring our prayers and add them to the mix and start praying strategically for these lives, for these five people over the next three weeks. The reason there's check, check boxes there is to help us stay on track. And I would say, take this, fill it out, and then put it like uh, on your bathroom mirror, because I think that's one place we look at every day, right? Most of us. <laughs> it's one place I know that I'm going to look every morning, the beginning of my day. I'm going to tape this right on my bathroom mirror, and right there in the bathroom, I'm going to go to prayer for these people. And over the next few weeks, say, Lord, we want to make sure that we're covering the rest of this, this service this morning, we're going to take a look at these six points on the back. This is a guide for you in knowing how to pray for people who don't know Jesus. That there is a strategy that we can employ, that we can engage in, that will help move forward the goal of the gospel and reaching the lost. Jesus had a strategy. We need a strategy can I tell you this morning, just praying, God, save the, people, save the people in my life who don't know you, amen, is not enough. It's not enough. It's better than nothing, but we can be more engaged in this process than that. Sound good? All right. So the first point is this. Pray that their eyes would be open to the gospel. All of the verses, by the way, that I'm sharing this morning are listed there. On the, uh, on the card as well. Pray that their eyes would be open to the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 tells us, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. By the way, you know who else is the image of God? You are. You are. We are made in the image of God, and because of Jesus, that image has been restored. 
Paul's telling us here that there is a God who is present, a small g God. It's the powers of darkness over this world that are working to blind people from the gospel, from seeing the light. So the people who don't know Jesus, that that demonic forces are literally trying to keep their eyes closed from receiving the truth of who Jesus is. They are working day and night. They are working in the midst of the culture. They are working in the midst of the media. They are working in the midst of our education system to introduce ways of thinking that would cloud and blind people's eyes to the truth of who Jesus is. And i got to tell you, if the enemy is working that hard to keep people from Jesus, we need to be working all the harder to bring them to Jesus. And so we start by praying a prayer that, that just simply says, God, I pray for, and we list those names. We list those names. God, I pray for Mark. I pray that you would lift the veil from his eyes. I pray that he would, that the blindness that has overwhelmed him because of the the darkness of this world would be lifted, that he would be able to see the light of Jesus. By the way, Mark is a real person. He's one of my VIPs. And that prayer right now, the Bible tells us that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You are a righteous person because of the, the, the work of Jesus on the cross. Every one of you is righteous. And that your prayer is powerful and effective. And in this moment, as we make that declaration and we pray that scripture, what's happening is that, that the angelic forces and, the, the, and, and that the power of the Holy Spirit is starting to invade that situation. And we keep pressing and keep pressing. God, lift the veil, open his eyes, open her eyes. Ephesians 6 tells us that that the battle that we fight is not flesh and blood. It's not flesh and blood. People are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. The enemy of our souls is the enemy. That the battle is not physical or mental that the battle is spiritual. And so as we come to prayer, we are engaging in spiritual warfare to drive back the power of darkness and lift the veil that is covering people's eyes, that is blinding them from the gospel. Church, I can't tell you how critical this is as a first step in seeing our loved ones come to know Jesus. You might think that, well, you know, absolutely living for Christ in front of them and, and, and showing and, and living a godly example will have an impact, and absolutely it will. Jesus said, let your, good, let your works be seen, that people might see, right, see those works and glorify your Father in heaven. But there is a step that is needed for us to be able to say, God, lift that veil, bring sight to, to blind eyes, spiritual blind eyes, that they would begin to see. The second thing is this, and you'll notice, by the way, all of these points begin, begin with prayer. Some of them have follow-up action, but it starts with prayer. So the second would be this. Pray that they would hear the word of God. Romans ten seventeen tells us that faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Jesus. One of the things I love about these times of the year, and it's a little more Christmas than it is Easter, but we see it more even around Easter, is that the story of Jesus makes its way into secular environments. You know that when people hear that song, 
they hear those words that are being sung that come out of Scripture, they are hearing the Word of God. That when in, in the midst of you talking about what's going on in your life, as you weave scripture into your speech, they are hearing the word of God. Those are no longer your words. Those are the words of God. Anyone love Chick-fil-A? Yeah. Not today, but six days a week, right? When you go to Chick-fil-A, you'll notice that there's worship music playing. There's no words, Right? But even the music and the words that are behind the music, that there is something that has been sown into people's spirits as they hear. So we need to pray that people would be ready to receive the word of God. Jesus talked about that the seed, this word, the word being like a seed that is sown. And that we need to pray that the, the soil of people's hearts would be ready to receive the word of God. Why? Because they can't know Jesus unless they hear the word. They have to hear the word about who Christ is before they can make a decision, before they can say, you know, I need Jesus in my life. And so we need to pray and say, Lord, would you make sure that they hear the word of God and would you just bring it everywhere? One of the things I like to pray is this, Lord, as people are scrolling through or flipping through the channels on their, their radio dial in the car, dial, we don't have a dial, right, anymore. As they're pushing the, the seek or the scan button, that it would land on a Christian station and that they would simply go, wow, that's a cool song, not even knowing that they're hearing the word of God. That through all of these different avenues, that the word of God would be presented and put in front of them. Third thing is this, pray with authority that strongholds in their lives would be bound and broken. Matthew 12, 29, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can plunder his house? Sounds like someone's doing some breaking and entering here. But the idea is this, that if our, if, our, if our life, if our body is a temple, something's living there. Someone's living there. And Jesus talked about the strong man or, 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 or the stronghold that would be present in a community or in a life. And being, at, I, I, being able to identify what that stronghold is and then praying with authority against whatever that stronghold is. And we have to be careful here because we can look at someone and go, oh, I believe this is a stronghold in your life. And that's not the heart here. That's not the heart. God knows. So it's not your job to go down the list and say, God, I want to, I want to break these things. Now, might, there might be things that are obvious, but we have to walk so tenderly and with a heart of compassion in this way. But then we bring the authority that Jesus Christ has given us and through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, and we pray authority-filled prayers. You have been given authority. Jesus says this in Luke 10, 19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Now, let's just be real. There are some churches that have made this weird, right? And we get distracted by the snakes and the scorpions. We're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What Jesus is simply saying is in that context, they're walking through the desert and these are things that would come out, slither out from the bushes and under the rocks and bite people in the ankle and prevent them from moving forward. 
And he's saying, listen, you have authority. And remember, they didn't wear boots. They wore sandals, so they were vulnerable. And he's saying, you, you feel like you're vulnerable, but here's what I'm telling you. You have authority. When that thing comes against you, you just crush it right. in the name of Jesus. That Jesus has given us authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, on those things that would come against us. And listen, he says to overcome some of the power of the enemy. No. No. You have been given authority, overcome all the power of the enemy. Church, that's huge. Because I know this most days, I have to remind myself of this fact because I don't live this out. Some days I feel like I'm more defeated than on the winning side. But the reality is I have authority in Jesus Christ to overcome all the power of the enemy. And then nothing that, that, that the enemy has devised, no scheme of hell can come against me because of the mighty name and the blood of Jesus Christ. But I don't just rest in that authority. I stand in that authority. And I can pray with that authority over the strongholds and over the things and over the attacks that the enemy is bringing into the lives of the people that I care about. John 10.10, it's our, our core verse is Thrive Church. That the goal of the enemy, his only goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come that we would have life and have it abundantly overflowing. So the goal of the enemy is to come in and to rob us of those things that bring life. And for those who don't know Jesus, to keep them in that place. And so as we pray, as we start praying for the people we care about, that we would pray specific authority-filled prayers. Here's a, just another word of caution. And we caution us about having a conversation with the enemy. I see this, I've seen it, I grew up in some of this, where there was just more, there was more dialogue with Satan than there was with Jesus. <laughs> we don't need to go there. What we do is we plead the blood of Jesus. We stand in the authority and we can resist the enemy, but we don't have a conversation with the enemy. Because every knee will bow with the name of Jesus. Every demonic force has to bow its knee at the name of Jesus. And so what we do is we pray Jesus over people's lives. And we ask Jesus to invade. And we ask Jesus to come and to break the yoke and to, to turn back the onslaught of the enemy, to break the strongholds. We ask him to do the work. He knows what he's doing. We just simply need to partner with him and stand in that authority. Fourth thing is this. Pray that God-fearing people would cross their path. See, you are part of an amazing global team. Remember I said that God's game plan, his strategy for reaching the world was you and people like you. That there are men and women and children around the world who love and fear God, who have a desire to see people walk from darkness into light. And because you are part of this team, you can pray and ask God to bring other people into the lives of the VIPs, the important people in your life, and ask him to say, hey, would you intersect godly people, people who love Jesus, and would you bring them into their life so that they would consistently be 
Like, like to the point that they're going, what is the deal? Where are all these Christians coming from? I read an awesome article last year after Easter. Uh, someone had complained. It was someone who's an atheist had complained and said, well, I wish all these Christians would stop inviting me to church. They just need to stop. And, and this guy, who, a reporter for the New York Times, wrote a, a, an opinion piece in response to this, also an atheist. But he wrote one of the coolest articles. He says, listen, he goes, I, I, I don't get upset. He goes, it, it, it doesn't bother me. I just say no, I'm not interested in going. And I'm thinking, yeah, not yet. He goes, what would bother me more is if there's this people who believe that there is something that would change their lives for eternity, what would bother me more is if they didn't invite me. Because what kind of faith, what kind of belief system, what kind of God would you serve if people were like, oh, it's all right, no big deal. And I got so encouraged by that because I thought, God, bring people into that man's life. Bring up, bring, I mean, he has just essentially said, bring it on. We can pray the same way. We can pray the same way. I remember as a kid, one of the things I struggled with was this question. How many people have you led to Jesus this year? Right? And I was like, oh, none. I stink. I'm a horrible Christian. Right? I'm afraid of talking to people about this. I don't know how. And I felt like this condemnation is a point, and a point of shame, not a point of, you know, something to celebrate. And then I remember in Bible college, one of our professors was teaching about us, about the scale of evangelism. And if you would imagine a, a, a horizontal timeline, right in the middle of point zero would be the cross. If someone is on, on kind of the left side of that, it would say that they're, they're not walking with Jesus yet, but they're moving in that direction. And at some point, they're going to make a decision. And then after that point, that's when discipleship happens and they start growing. If God brings me into someone's life and that they're, let's say, a negative 10, and I just share with them or I just encourage them or I, I pray for them because they're not feeling well, which, by the way, Jesus sent the 72 out and the 12 out, and he says, go and preach the gospel and pray for the sick. You know that, that people not feeling well and people who are struggling with diseases are most open. If you had to say, hey, could I pray for you? Most people would be like, Sure. Absolutely. So it wasn't that Jesus just wanted to, to heal the sick, which he does, but he recognized it was one of the greatest open doors for him to be able to work. So, so you pray for someone who says, as simple as, hey, I'm battling a migraine. Hey, could I pray for you? Sure. And you pray. And what might have happened in that moment is they move from a negative 10 to a negative 9. And what you've done is brought them closer to Jesus. Oh, man, that burden lifted. And I thought, okay, Lord, I get to be a part of a team, part of a system, part of a strategy that is moving people. But that means my part is important. And I believe that one day in heaven, God will allow us to see all of the lives that were impacted, all the people that are present because of the lives that we had an impact on directly and indirectly. Amen? I hope that encourages us this morning. So it could be that someone's praying for you and saying, hey, God, would you bring someone into Aunt Patty's life? And maybe that's you. And you might not get to pray the prayer with them, but you know what? You could possibly help someone move closer to Jesus. But it's that prayer when Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful.
There's a lot of work to be done, but the workers are few. And what does he say to the disciples? Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. Now, now he's saying this to the, the disciples who are the workers. But he's saying as workers, you need to be praying for more workers. So you're both a part of this, but also called to engage in prayer and say, Lord, would you raise up people? How much more for the people that you care about the most? Amen? Next thing is this, point five. Pray that you would have opportunities to share about what God has done in your life. Your testimony is the biggest tool you have on your tool belt when it comes to sharing the gospel. I think so often we feel like, okay, I gotta, what's, okay, what are those verses out of Romans? Wait, the Romans road or the, the chasm with the cross, and those are all good. But what initiates these conversations is your testimony. Romans 12, 11, the first part of this verse says this, they triumphed over him, that being the enemy, by the blood of the lamb. None of this is possible without the shed blood of Jesus Christ at Calvary. None of this is possible. We would not be here were it not for what Jesus has done. So the blood of the lamb opens the door. And by the word of their testimony, that those that were going through this season in the church in this time in history recognize that their story, remember, they didn't have the Bible. It was their story of what God had done. When you read about the life of Paul, he kept talking about what Jesus had done in his life. And it simply looked like this. Man, before Jesus, I was a jerk. I was killing Christians. I was persecuting. I thought I was doing great, but it turns out I wasn't. But I had a revelation of Jesus, and he spoke to me. And after that revelation, and after I surrendered my life to him, here's everything that changed in my life. He told that story over and over and over. He ends up in Athens, and he's on Mars Hill amongst all of these scholars and really, really smart people. And rather than being intimidated, what he does is he engages with them in the way that they dialogue, in the way that they communicate. He becomes all things to all people. And he says, hey, let me tell you about this monument that you see. And so he contextualizes it and tells them about what God, who God is and even about what God's done in his own life. Your testimony, the story of what God has done in your life is the biggest tool you have in your tool belt, in your arsenal when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you, get to know your own story. Be able to share your testimony. Tonight we have the last in our Thriving Life uh, class, a series of discipleship classes. Uh, we have just over 20 people who've gone through over the last four weeks just learning about who God is and what it means to walk in relationship with God. But one of the things that they've been practicing in this class is writing out and sharing their story and taking time to share their testimony and you need to really have a few different versions of your testimony. There needs to be the part of your testimony that's most current. Current events, what is God doing right now? What is something that's happened in the last few days or the last few weeks that you can just give glory to God for in the midst of conversation? And again, don't make it weird. <laughs> oh, let me tell you what God has done in my life. <laughs> and everyone's like, I'm out, right? <laughs> But when someone says, hey, how's things going? 
man, you won't believe how good God has been to me. What? <laughs> yeah, you know, this, and you've, man, I've, I've been battling this illness, or I've had this issue, or there's been this financial thing, or there's been a relationship that's broken, I've just been praying about it. Man, when you know what, God has totally turned it around. You know that most people are not aware that God does that for them? That God is this rules, institutional type thing? But when we can personalize him through our own lives, man, ears just go, wait, what? Wait, what? We were at uh, the Pumpkin Festival last year, one of the events that we volunteer at, and we bumped into a couple that we know through football. And we were just talking, and he was sharing about some pain he was having, and um, they were getting ready to go out to Vegas because one of their family members was battling cancer. And, uh, and it just came up in conversation. And they know we're pastors. But it just came in conversation. We're like, oh, yeah, we, we, have, uh, we have people in our church who've been healed of cancer. We just prayed for them, and there's been miracles. What? <laughs> so we got to share the story a little bit. And then just said, hey, could we pray with you? Standing right in the middle of the pumpkin festival, people milling all about. And you know what they said? Yes. Yes, we would love for you to pray. Huge open door, church. As we share the story of what God is doing in our lives and the things that he's impacting us with, don't be surprised that people would want to know more. Your testimony is powerful. So you need to have ready to go the story of what's happened most recently for you. You need to have a version of your testimony that is, hey, before I knew Jesus, this is what my life was like. And that needs to be the small part. Because I've heard some testimonies that are like, I spent 20 minutes talking about the past and two minutes talking about life after. The focus is in the wrong place. Like we get that our lives were a mess before Jesus. We're in good company in that regard. (laughs) I didn't know Jesus, but he came into my life. and, And this is what's happened. It's not been perfect, but I have this peace, right? God's given me a love for people. And they say you should have a version of your testimony that you can share on an elevator ride. Write it down. Write it down. Don't think that you'll know what to say in the moment. Write it down. Now, the Holy Spirit will stir up and will modify what you've written down. But prepare. Get a game plan. Get a strategy ready. And say, okay, this is one of the things about journaling that's so powerful. If you're journaling what God is doing in your life, it's fresh. It's fresh bread. It's like manna from heaven. And then you need to have like your, your five to ten minute testimony. Because the goal in your testimony is not to do all the talking. Let people ask questions. Let them prod and poke a little bit. But you need to have, again where I was before Jesus, how I met Jesus, and what's changed since I've come to know him. And then you need to pray and say, God, would you give me opportunities and open doors to share about what you've done in my life? And then finally this morning, pray that a door would be open for you to share the gospel and invite them to receive Jesus. It could be that on that scale, you're the person that God has said, hey, I'm going to open a door. There's going to be a moment because of the prayers because of the spiritual warfare, because of the, the word being preached, because of strongholds being bound and, and, and destroyed, that they're going to get to a point where they say, yes, I want what you have. And then we simply present 
This is is who Jesus is. That we are sinful people. We're separated from God because of our sin. And because of what Jesus did at the cross, that God sent his son to die for us, that he shed his blood, his body was broken for us so that we could be reconciled. And then he rose from the grave, defeating death once and for all. And that if we confess with our mouths and put our faith in Jesus Christ, that he is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, that we're saved. Would you like that? That simple. And you lead him in a prayer. And listen, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be an exact prayer. God knows the heart, right? There's no one who's going to get to heaven and God's like, listen, you prayed the prayer a little bit wrong. <laughs> He's just not going to do that. Because he's going, I want all to come to a knowledge of me. You think he's going to make it hard? No, he's going to make it as easy as possible. But pray that God would open those doors, that you would have a chance to do that. Notice that I didn't say, hey, pray that you had an opportunity to invite them to church. Now, I would encourage you to invite them to church. I'd encourage you to invite them to church. But don't rely on the church or on the pastor to lead those people to Jesus. You're the sent ones. You're the strategy. We get to partner with you, and we would celebrate if there was, this place was filled up on Easter Sunday with your VIPs, right? And they made a decision in this place and raised their hand and said, yes, that morning, you are no less a part of that decision and leading him that way than I am. Does that make sense? So we get to partner together and say, Lord, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people whose lives can be impacted. I know there's about 70 people with 70 times 5. Help me out with math. 350. Right here. 350 people's lives that could be impacted for eternity as we pray together. I'd say that's a pretty good strategy, wouldn't you? By the way, if you want to write down more than five names, you're free to do that. <laughs> but God wants to use you. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says this, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You have beautiful feet. Come on. You have beautiful feet. Why? Because you have the good news to bring to people who need it. He says, Paul says that the world needs someone to preach to them, not preach at them. Right? And we get that word preaching like, oh, it's so preachy. No, preaching is just the speaking of the truth. You might not feel like a preacher, but you are. When you share about the goodness of God, you are preaching. You are declaring who he is. And that is powerful, church. You are the sent ones of God. You are his divine strategy to reach the world. Isn't that awesome? At some point, someone shared with you. I was five years old when a little lady at a family camp that we were part of. I was, in, I was in children's church at a family camp in this funky little A-frame chapel with 1970s stained glass and orange pillows because it was the 70s. <laughs> and this lady 
in the midst of this class, asked if anyone wanted to give their lives to Jesus. And I said yes. And I remember kneeling at that little bench and asking Jesus into my heart. I remember in 1981 in a Christmas service at our church, my grandfather, who did not have a relationship with Jesus, had come to visit from from another city. He was there, uh, him and my grandmother, and he was in kind of antagonistic and kind of would make fun of us and our faith. But he came to a Christmas service because, you know, family. And I remember as a kid, about eight, eight or nine years old, I remember that day my grandfather raising his hand and going to the front and weeping as he said yes to Jesus. He's with the Lord now. And I'll get to see him again. Because the gospel was presented in such a way that he could respond. You have brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts, sons and daughters, moms and dads and grandparents and friends and neighbors and colleagues who need an opportunity to hear the gospel. And Jesus would love for you to be that mouthpiece. So let's do this. Would you take a couple of minutes as the worship team comes up? We'll close with worship in a moment. But would you just take a couple of minutes and would you write down, prayerfully, would you write down the names of five people? Maybe there's a couple and you're like, hey, I'm going to count this couple or this family as one. That's totally fine. There's no rules here. It's just five just seemed like an easy number. But would you write them down? Now, now I'm going to ask, don't write them down if you're not committed to praying for them. Because this is, this is serious. This is, this is kingdom of God work. Write those down and then we'll close together. <laughs> Father God, we lift these names these lives before you. God, we ask, Lord, that doors would be open wide, that the darkness and the blindness would be lifted, that the word of God would be declared. Lord, that these individuals would come in contact with people who love you, and, not af- and are not afraid to speak about that love. Father God, that strongholds would be defeated and torn down in the name of Jesus, that chains would be broken, Father God. Lord, that there would be testimonies that fill their ears of the goodness of God. And God, that there would be opportunities to present the gospel in a clear way. That lives would be saved we give you praise I pray Lord that your Holy Spirit would empower every person young and old as we commit ourselves as a congregation to going to battle to entering into the fray doing the kingdom work Lord aligning ourselves with your game plan your strategy to reach the world we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's close together with worship this morning.